You're listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast, inspiring commentary and intelligent insight from experts in the thick of it. Hi, this is Mike Walteri. Welcome back to Forrester Technopolitics. I'm very pleased to be here with James McQuivy. Yes. Hi, James. Hi. How are you? Uh, Vice President, Principal Analyst, and author of Forrester's new book, Digital Disruption, to be published when? February 26th, yes. So, um, let's talk about uh, digital disruption. What is digital disruption? You know, it's a good question simply because everyone thinks they know what it means. You, you work in digital, you've read about disruption, and you think, well, you put those two words together, I know what that means. It, mm-hmm. It turns out that when you actually dig deep into trying to define what digital disruption really is, as I've done, you find out that it's much bigger, it's much stronger, and it will actually affect us much more rapidly than most of us are prepared to accept and, frankly, than are prepared to respond to. Well, what do you, but exactly what do you mean by digital disruption? I mean, is this, I mean, digital is like, I assume that's like web, mobile, uh, is it television? I mean, what is it? Yeah. Well, let's go back to disruption first, Mm -hmm. because as Clayton Christensen, who's really the father of disruptive innovation, Mm -hmm. you know, outstanding thinker at Harvard Business, who's really taught us about disruption, what's happened is he taught us disruption in the context of analog case studies. And in analog case studies, the ones he made famous were steel manufacturing or hard disk drive manufacturing and even things like the replacement of mainframes with PCs in the enterprise. These are all disruptive, certainly. They are all replacements of one technology with another one, another one that's cheaper and better and eventually rises to do more things. Okay, mm-hmm. But all the case studies that he developed took years and, in some cases, billions of dollars of investment to happen. And as a result, disruption historically is rare, Mm -hmm. and you don't usually have to worry about it. You know, it comes to your business once a decade, and then you can put it aside and say, all right, let's adjust to the new steady state. Well, what happens in digital is that all the factors or all the barriers that inhibit disruption from occurring generally uh, basically disappear. Now you have the ability to bring a new idea to market much more quickly, much more cheaply, and to get access to markets through app stores, through uh, any number of digital platforms that didn't exist 10 years ago or even five years ago. So digital platforms, mobile, digital platforms, tablets. And those things end up being the how, Mm -hmm. not the what, meaning that the digital platform encompasses all of those things. It encompasses mobile and web and the new connected television and your new connected car and any other device anyone ever puts in your hands or in your home is part of this platform that is owned by Apple or it's owned by Google, it's owned by Amazon, it's owned by Microsoft. Precious few companies have achieved platform status, meaning they have a digital customer relationship with millions of customers. That relationship then enables digital disruptors to say, I want to add value. I want to make a device, sure, uh, a service, even just a game, and I want to distribute it through these digital platforms. Mm-hmm. And then once those digital platforms reduce the barriers to reaching a customer, then your idea can reach those customers much more quickly. So I think you're saying that the digital disruptors aren't the uh, just the Googles and the Apples, but the people who can use those platforms to disrupt 
in other markets? Absolutely. In fact, I think if you look at Apple as a digital disruptor, you're missing the point that it's taken Apple billions of dollars yeah. in investment yeah, to yeah. get there. Yeah, and yeah. most of us aren't going to. No one's going to be Apple again. Right. Not even Apple. It's going to be Apple again. Right. But Apple's created an environment in which they just announced that they've paid $8 billion to the thousands of developers on the App Store platform across multiple mm-hmm. devices. That's Apple's new bread and butter. They have to open that platform up. Yes, it sells devices for them, and that's where they get their revenue. But the real digital disruptors are the people using that platform to create enterprise apps as well as Angry Birds. Whatever experience you use that platform to create, you are becoming the digital disruptor. And that's the power of digital disruption. You know, I had a conversation with Clay Christensen at Harvard Business, and I shared the book with him, nervously, of course, because the man's (laughs) a a legend. And Mm waited to hear what he had to say. And he came back and he said, you know, you've helped me understand that disruption can happen faster and can be more potent than I understood in all the work I've done. And that was obviously very gratifying to hear him say that. But what it helped me realize is that if Clayton Christensen didn't see how quickly digital would enable disruption, then the rest of us certainly don't have his brain power, and we're certainly going to miss that too. So to make the point clear, disruption is now more possible It's going to happen more quickly, more often, in more industries. It is the new steady state, but it doesn't mean that your product becomes digital. Mm -hmm. It means that your competitors use digital to out-compete you. So even if you're delivering something like cement, which I interviewed a CIO of a cement manufacturer just— just some Help me ago. understand how cement yeah. can be digital dis- you know, disruptive. It, in my mind, I go the science yeah. fiction route, and I think we're going to embed sensors in cement. And who knows? Yeah. We probably we will probably someday. Will. <laughs> yeah. But for now, he said to me, no, this is all about logistics. Whoever can extract the raw materials from the mines in the 90 countries where mm. they extract gypsum and whatever else goes mm. into their equipment or into their, uh, into their manufacturing process. He said, whoever, whoever can find it, extract it, deliver it, refine it, and then ensure quality control using digital control mechanisms. Mm-hmm. As simple as just putting GPS on the vendor's trucks that are mm-hmm. shipping this stuff from the mine to the shipping mm-hmm. dock. That's a digital network that he absolutely has to build. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to convince other people in the cement manufacturing business that digital is their salvation, mm-hmm. and he's, he's having success because everyone realizes, oh, even if my product isn't digital, my process needs to be. Well, look, you've mentioned a cement company, which is fascinating. You mentioned sort of the mobile app developers who can sort of monetize and create value on, on say, something like iTunes. L- help me get into the head of a digital disruptor. disruptor. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, is, what type of people... You know, uh, we'll become a, the disruptors. This is a great question because I think we're biased to think that you have to be 23 years old with a nose ring or something to get the future. <laughs> and I don't think that's the case at all. It's certainly not me. Well, being a lot older than that, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but But the older we are, the less willing we are to make this transition. It's not that we're not capable. It's that we really don't want to believe that we have to make this big of an adjustment. So I'll put that out there, mm-hmm. that age probably does matter. But I have been in meetings. I was just with the C-suite and all of their direct reports at one of the world's largest magazine publishers. And the C-people are all in their 40s and 50s. And to a one of them, they are all 100% ready to be as aggressively digital as I've ever seen a media company. Now, they've been beaten up along the way, so they got their motivation mm-hmm. from somewhere. But the point is, look, a, a digital disruptor just simply sees opportunities rather than barriers, and that makes it sound simple. But it comes down to things as simple as 
well, how are we going to build this website? Oh, well, we could go through a process of getting a bunch of vendors together to give us proposals, and we could expect to spend tens of millions of dollars on this. Or we could just look for the free tool that would allow us to do the next thing that our website needs to do. It, and th that's a big difference. It sounds like there's operate. huge doses of creativity then that, that go into this. Creativity Looking and risk-taking. For opportunity, okay, creativity and risk-taking. And you mentioned something in your book that, that I think is fascinating, which is the adjacent possible? Yes, yes. Innovating through adjacent possibilities. Mm -hmm. and, and I won't take credit for the name. It's a little unwieldy anyway. It comes mm -hmm. from evolutionary biology, actually. And Stephen Johnson wrote a great book called Where... Uh, good ideas come from that is really worth reading. But in there, he explained that adjacent possibilities are how we find our way to every major innovation that's ever changed the world. And the way he describes it, though, it's almost accidental, like society accidentally stumbles across a couple of things in medicine or in whatever. Mm -hmm. My point is that with digital tools, we can actually make it deliberate. Instead of sitting back and saying, you know, we'll do business as usual and we'll innovate incrementally or however your innovation plan is currently developed, we instead say, let's just do what ideas naturally do. Let's identify the next thing that our customer needs and give it to them. Now, that next thing can be a small step or it could be a monstrous step. A case study I use, for example, in the book is Jawbone, a company that you know, had spent a lot of time and money becoming a dominant premium provider of Bluetooth headsets. Right. At the same time, though, they're looking at what their customer needs next, and they said, this sounds crazy, but it looks like they need even more audio options. We're going to give them a portable mobile speaker. Now, that's a business that has no margin, no value whatsoever. But because they understood the customer's need, knowing that the next thing they needed was even more audio options than the Bluetooth headset already gave them, they built it. And they created a new audio category overnight. And, of course, they own it because they created that market. Now everyone's trying to copy them. But I have example after example of companies that say, let's just give our customer what they need next. It's faster that way. It's cheaper that way if you think like a digital disruptor does. And then when you're done giving them that next thing, if they take it, build on it. And if they don't, scrap it and move on to the next thing. A lot of app developers think this way. Lose It is a company that I've profiled and interviewed extensively. Same thing. Let's just figure out one thing that we can help people who are trying to lose weight do, help them do it really well, and then do the next thing they're trying to do. And it can lead to discontinuous leaps, like going from a Bluetooth headset to a Bluetooth-equipped mobile speaker. It can lead to modest incremental steps. But whatever it is, it's in service of the next thing, the adjacent possibility that your customer is ready for. And these, these uh, digital disruptors, it seems like it's almost impossible for some companies to change to this mindset. I mean, will, will we see uh, a lot of companies fail? that it could be almost impossible for many organizations to start this type of thinking that you're talking about, whether it's politics w within an organization, whether it's just the sheer size of the company. Uh, will there be winners and losers uh, in this digital disruption? Or how can a company start thinking this way? There will be. There will definitely be losers, but it won't be because they didn't have the possibility to be digitally disruptive. That's the thing that I've learned. As I've talked to everyone from cement makers to drug manufacturers who've cut the time to develop a drug in half and the cost in more than in half because they're using digital, digitally disruptive methods and, and uh, a digitally disruptive mindset. So... It's not because they couldn't do it. There's no company that can't take advantage of these free digital tools and can't use digital platforms to improve their processes. It's really just a question of whether you will or and whether you can summon the political will 
you know, I'm working with a variety of companies of all different sizes, and I have to admit I've got one that I've been working with for a year now, and we've barely moved forward at all because everything they do has to go through multiple approvals across multiple silos. And everyone thinks they're doing what's right for their business. And in fact, they're all sinking the company. Mm-hmm. So it is hard to watch and it's a little painful, but you don't ha- that doesn't have to be the case. And if I could give any impassioned plea to the C-suite, it would be don't tolerate that. Be the example of someone who says we're going to do what's right for the customer. We're going to give them the next thing they need, regardless of what the political inside machinations might otherwise have dictated. Mm-hmm. James McQuivy, author of Forrester's new book, Digital Disruption. Thanks for joining. Oh, thank you for having me. Look forward to hearing more people's responses. To Digital Disruption by James McQuivy, available February 26th in physical and ebook format. And stop by forrester.com slash disruption to learn how your company can meet the demands of a constantly disrupted world. That's forrester.com slash disruption. You've been listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast.